Hello and welcome to the Buckle Bomb Show here on BMP Sports. I'm your host, Bobby, and I'm so happy to be here to talk professional wrestling with you once again. We missed last week. I apologize. We planned on doing it, and just things snowballed, and we never got it done. But we are here this week. That's right, we. I'm joined, as always, by my broadcast partner, Anthony Rome. Tony, how you doing, buddy? I'm not doing great, man. I'm not going to lie to you. If I look like shit, I apologize to our viewers. I was up all night crying and mourning the loss of the black brick wall. It defected the WWE. It showed up on screen last night behind Cody after everything the Khan family has done for the black brick walls family. It's a pity. (laughs) All right. Let's uh, go ahead and jump right into it here. So uh, we've got, we had a big week of news and we missed talking about all that stuff. And then this last week, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff. So we're still going to talk about all the stuff we were going to talk about last week, basically. And that includes uh, some older news here at this point. It's been a couple of weeks. But the uh, most recent Wall Street Journal report that came out on Vince McMahon, uh, there's a whole lot to get into. We've got two separate sides and angles. The first one is going to be more of the actual allegations and the business end. And then the second story that we're going to get into is the little blurb that affects the wrestling end. And so we'll leave that for later. Right now, we're going to focus on the actual accusations and the business end. And so I'm going to go ahead and jump over to this here. I got the actual Wall Street Journal article up. And I'm going to go through some of the big points here. Um, uh, it was reported that were, there were two new allegations. That's not quite true. Um, one allegation was one of the allegations that they're talking about is the Rita Chatterton allegation, which is the oldest allegation that is publicly known. Um, Rita Chatterton, if you don't know a little background on that, she was a referee for the WWF in the mid eighties, uh, in 1992 in a couple of separate TV interviews, including one with Geraldo Rivera. She, uh, accused Vince McMahon of rape in a limousine in New York. Remember the New York part? That'll be important. Uh, She said she alleges that Vince uh, told her to please him in order to get a $500,000 contract in 1986. Shortly thereafter, she was actually let go from the company. Um, And then in 1992... She came out with these allegations publicly. Uh, Now, Vince McMahon in a 1993 lawsuit uh, suing Rita said that she was forced to make those allegations by a former WWF wrestler uh, that had an axe to grind, uh, though he did later drop that lawsuit. the new allegation now the reason why that comes up is because and there's Rita Chatterton there the reason why that does come up again here in this story is because New York has passed a law uh where that has opened up for one year a window for sex abuse lawsuits on decades old claims to be able to be brought forth ones that have would have not been able to that would have already passed the statute of limitations uh the adult survivors act they're calling it 
a look-back window. They're opening it up for one year for some of these older claims to be brought forward. So Rita Chatterton and her lawyer, uh, John Clune. Now, this was a private communique between lawyers. John Clune to a uh, longtime Vince McMahon lawyer, McDivitt, Jerry McDivitt. Uh, John Clune, was a, it was a legal demand letter for damages uh, for the 1986 rape that she alleges. Now, that sounds like a money grab, and to a certain degree, it technically is. Uh, but you got to remember before we make any judgments here one way or the other, you know, this is actually pretty common in the legal world where before you put something into the actual legal system where, you know, legal fees are going to pile up on both sides. This is a way to, Hey, if you want to settle, if you would plan on settle, let's do it now. Uh, rather than, going through the system when you're probably going to eventually settle with me anyway. So it's not uncommon. Um, Now, the other allegation here is new publicly, though it is still an older allegation. It stems from a uh, 2011, uh, a spa manager, a former spa manager claims she was assaulted by Mr. McMahon in 2011 at a Southern California resort. Um, and it's a similar situation. Uh, and you can read, you can see there's some drama. The the husband of the spa manager apparently drove to the WWE event with a baseball bat trying to confront Mr. McMahon. Uh, f- crazy how this never went public. But uh, California has passed a similar law that New York has, which has opened up some of these older cases. Uh, to be uh, civilly liable again. So her lawyer, this spa manager's lawyer, has also sent in, it's a very similar situation, a letter of financial demand before any lawsuit has happened. Now, it does say here that Vince McMahon, uh, I believe it's up here, it does say Vince McMahon refuses to pay any uh, demand settlement. So we do have that. But uh, what what do you think of these? And there it is, right there. Mr. McMahon has told people he refuses to pay settlements. What do you think of these new allegations against Vince and what they may mean for the business as it stands right now? So I really honestly feel like, you know, <clears throat> there's a certain best way to word this when most of your adult life you've had more money than you know what to do with, you feel like law doesn't apply to you, which is absolute bullshit. And it's terrifying to think of how many times Vince has actually gotten away with this. That just hasn't been reported yet. Right. Um, myself personally, I think statute of limitation on rape is fucking bullshit. Um, but going forward, this doesn't hurt WWE. Not a prayer. Vince is out of the company, despite, you know, having these fucking delusions of grandeur that he might have been able to come back. Um, he is he is still a majority shareholder, which is in a certain amount of voting power with the board. Um, 
And, of course, anytime one of these stories comes up, I mean, you can look right here. What's, what's, what are they showing? I mean, it's, the stock. it's, you know, there's the WWE logo right there. So, and the soon to be former headquarters. So, certainly there is still an, a, an image problem. Anytime one of these stories comes out, it's the WWE logo, logo plastered all over it, which can affect advertisers to a certain degree. Though the fact that Vince isn't there anymore is obviously a good step. Um, another part of, to this story from a business perspective was, uh, was interesting here. They mentioned the, uh, the board's investigation, which has concluded. Now you may remember a lot of people were talking about, oh, he paid it. He paid these women with his own money. Why is it an issue at all? Um, which was obviously short-sighted, though you and I, even you and I were like, at least he paid them with his own private money and not WWE money. It turns out... Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> it turns out that is actually partly what the board found was wrong. Was, and once I, let me see if I can find that particular blurb here in the article. But the, uh... The, uh... Uh, it should be right about here. Yeah, so even though these uh, payments to these women were made personally, the board found they should have actually, they should have been booked as WWE expenses because they benefited the company, yeah. which is very interesting. So, uh, and another interesting part here in this, this whole paragraph is really interesting, so I'll just read it out loud. The board investigation found that the payments to the women, though made by Mr. McMahon personally, should have been booked as WWE expenses because they benefited the company. A related board probe seeks to assess damages, and listen to this, seeks to assess damage caused by Mr. McMahon's secret packs and to determine whether legal action against him by the board is warranted, said people familiar with the matter. In other words, if these secret packs, if it's found that these secret packs caused financial harm to the WWE and to its shareholders, the board, this, this uh, related probe, this other inquiry is going on right now, will determine legal action by the board as necessary. So we... And it would be, by the way, basically forced. The, the board would have to sue McMahon for this money because they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. They would need to go get that money back. So that basically, they would have to, they would, including chairwoman of the board, Stephanie McMahon, would have to sue Vince for this money, which is a very interesting wrinkle. Now, I, I doubt, I doubt that this inquiry will find uh, legal action against him is warranted because assessing legal damages to the WWE, I mean, it says in this article last year, for the first time ever, WWE posted a billion dollars in revenue in 2021. So they're making more money than they've ever made by far. So... I doubt it'll come to that, but it is an interesting wrinkle. What do you what do you think of that bit there? 
I mean, geez, this is like a real life succession. If you've ever seen that show, um, you know, just going back to briefly what you said about the WWE logo being in every shot. This isn't the first time the actual WWE logo has been through something like this. Unfortunately, in the crazy world we live in, I doubt it's going to be the last. I mean, you remember the steroid trial. You remember the Chris Benoit incident. You remember, and even with the Eddie Guerrero thing, that they harkened back to uh, the steroid trial. But um, it, it's so bizarre when you hear board members saying that covering up alleged rapes should have been paid for with company money. Like, does that not like just sit wrong with anybody else? And the irony in all this is too, if you look at the total amount Vince McMahon paid over the years, legitimate fact, Vince McMahon paid more money to cover up rapes and sexual assaults than he paid for both WCW and ECW combined. Crazy to think about when you put it in that perspective. The fuck are we doing here, man? Like that dude should be fucking strung up by now. Granted, you know, you have your judiciary duties of, you know, innocent until proven guilty, da 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 da. But <laughs> fucking scumbag predator. <laughs> like, well, it's very interesting. Like, but, you go back and you hear the the details of the Rita Chatterton thing, which I'd never delved into uh, until this article. But it's like, oh, wait a minute, that sounds very similar to the legal aid this year the story that started all of this you know she didn't allege it was against her will but it was hey you help me out a little bit and here's an extra hundred grand on your paycheck each week like (laughs) you know that and then shortly thereafter she was let go and got a big settlement to keep her quiet you know maybe if he'd paid miss chatterton money back then in 1986 that that would have never been public, but and I'm not. That sounds like a joke, but you know, Jesus, that's what he's been doing. Maybe he learned his lesson after Rita, but and not the right way. He's just decided to spend money doing what he wanted to do. But yeah, it, it looks like this has been a pattern for way too long, and there's almost certainly, certainly women out there that we don't know about. That haven't become public yet. All right. So uh, let's get off of this side of the topic. Let's try and jump back into the wrestling side a little bit. Because also a blurb in this story was that Vince actually thinks all of this would have blown over. And that he got bad advice from people close to him. And that he should have never stepped away. And that he wants to come back. What do you think of this news? How out of touch can you actually fucking be? You got bad advice and the alleged rape of multiple women would have just dust in the wind. Meanwhile, you can't have uh, the hell's name from the Cleveland Browns. Deshaun Watson, that's going to follow him around like a fucking black cloud hanging over his head for the rest of his life. What's the difference between 
an NFL quarterback. And Vincent Kennedy fucking McMahon, the former owner of a publicly traded company. Uh-huh. Like, granted, both rape, sexual assault, both horrible things. But there is an argument to be made about which situation's worse. I mean, was it? Yeah, sure. That'll be hanging over Deshaun Watson's head his whole life. On the other hand, he just got, like, one of the biggest contracts ever. So... Well, you know, the NFL's track record with human rights isn't exactly great either. Yeah. Yep. But uh, as far as him coming back, obviously I agree with you. He's he's clearly <laughs> out of touch and has no idea what he's talking about here and has no idea just how much... I don't think he realizes the world... Now, in the social media world, that all this stuff is out there, and it's not going to go away. Uh, It's certainly not going to blow over. If he were to come back, man, the amount of backlash he would get from the public, the company would get from the public, and from advertisers, so just from a business perspective, from a perception perspective... And apparently from a locker room perspective, because Fightful Select and Sean Rassap here, you can, you can see this, uh, discussing this, and he went to his sources in the WWE, and apparently no one, no one there wants him back, whether it be uh, talent, whether it be higher-ups in the company, and everyone in between. Um, uh, there was even, let me see if I can get this here. Uh, people were worried about people that have been rehired since people like Bray Wyatt and Dexter Loomis and all this, you know, what's, what's going to happen to him? If them, if he comes back, is he going to get rid of him again? You know, and then, uh, someone said it would be a selfish move for Vince under any circumstances. And this is a, a apparently a higher up in the company. Uh, the reason he left, how business is done since then, uh, everything is up. He would only be coming back because he wants to come back, and that would be selfish, though that's his history. Um, the fucking ego on this guy. Right? So there is, there was, there was someone up. else, there was another uh, upper-level staffer that said it was interesting, the timing of the article's release, the fact that they had this blurb about Vince wanting to come back, but drops with two new allegations, or at least two new, one new allegation, two new uh, settlement demands. And on the very same day that article drops is the Vice documentary. They thought that was interesting. Like, people in the company had heard some of this, some higher-ups in the company. Hey, let's leak a little bit of this info for, to the Wall Street Journal because we don't want them back. Yeah. So that's kind of hinted at here in this article with Sean Ross Sapp as well. Um, but just, just the morale in the locker room alone, I think, would drop so... Terribly. I've been in, I've worked in some jobs with 
low morale, I can't imagine how bad it would be bringing him back in that locker room. No, it, it would absolutely be horrible. Now, tying this in with one of the biggest wrestling stories of the year, which not saying this isn't one and not saying that there hasn't been 800 big news stories this year, the Mandy Rose situation. Did you think that maybe in the terms of optics, the release of Mandy Rose was going to be so big that they thought it was just going to overshadow this Wall Street Journal article? Because if you think about it to an extent, it kind of did. Because it was 24 hours apart. And when Mandy Rose got released, Vince McMahon's name was not on Twitter. Mandy Rose was trending. You're not wrong about that. It, it. I don't think it did. I don't think it was purposeful. Because, again, a lot of people in the company, and again, what a source in this article by Sean Ross Sapp alleges is that, you know, this stuff was out there because at least people within WWE wanted it out there. So I find it hard to believe some of these people were also trying to you know, take the news cycle away from the Wall Street Journal. But I do think there was a little bit of... It it did come off maybe that much more hypocritical. Here we are, you know, we've got our former owner and our former CEO and chairman of the board who we had to force to retire because of all these uh, sexual assault and sexual abuse allegations against women. And then, and that's in the news cycle again with new stuff coming out. And then 24 hours later, we're releasing a woman because of some pictures that got leaked from a, from another revenue source that she had that she was doing on her own, you know, for, for some people to link those two together and cry hypocrisy, it's, it's a little apples and oranges, but you know, you could definitely see where, Hey, you know, this is, this isn't adding up here. You're doing things right here and maybe wrong over there. Uh, And, you know, considering the timing of that, it's very interesting because, Granted, this isn't yet a big news story that we can talk about and like make some sense of. But Chelsea Green, uh, you know, the speculation that she's coming back to WWE, closed down her OnlyFans this week. And the reason why that's such big news is because of that move and everything that's happened with Mandy. Yeah. It's come out the actual parameters of being on the main roster versus being in NXT. And to be on the main roster, you can't have a third-party revenue site like an OnlyFans or a FanTime. However, when you're in NXT, it's not exactly frowned upon, is what's been coming out this week. So that's that's when you mm. when you look at it from that angle, it just it does put while it could be wrong, it does kind of put the perception in people's heads. That that's what you're trying to let do. me a- I, let me let me ask you this because I have a feeling you may know the answer to this question. 
What was Chelsea Green's OnlyFans, uh, the content that she had on there? Was it at all as risque as what we saw of Mandy's? So I never personally seen Chelsea Green's OnlyFans. I'm shocked. Um, but I did see I did see the teasers that she would post on the Twitter. And again, bring her up in second episode in the row. Our friend Michelle Rain, she will post teasers on Twitter too. But then when you actually look at her OnlyFans, it's like fucking night and day ramped up by a thousand. So not saying that Chelsea Green wasn't doing that, not saying Chelsea Green was doing that. But at the same time, you know, perception's everything. And speaking of, we know Natalia is on the main roster, and she's a part of her sister's OnlyFans. Could that be the distinction there? What if Chelsea Green comes back to WWE, but Matt Cardona does not, and now it becomes Matt Cardona's OnlyFans, and she's just on it a whole lot? Could that be a distinction that gets her around things? Because, <laughs> you know, well, it's the same way with Lazy Evans having an OnlyFans. Who knows? All I do know, though, is that that's the route they go, and Matt Cardona does take over the Chelsea Green OnlyFans. Do you know how much money they're going to make? Do you know how many times that Seth Rollins hog pick was shared around to fucking everybody? There's always that curiosity amongst men and women. What does his dick look like? And I guarantee you there are people in this world that pay $20 a month to see Matt Cardona's hog. <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo, woo. The new, the new James Hogsworth, if you will. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Why the fuck did we go so off track? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Don't well, I think, I think we were talking about such heavy stuff. We just had to go. Go into some jokeful territory there. But, all right, yeah, all this stuff about Vince McMahon, obviously it's a little bit older news now because it's been a couple of weeks since we've graced you guys with our presence. Uh, but we still wanted to talk about it. We'll go ahead and move on to some actual in-ring wrestling now. And, this is again, this is a couple of weeks old, but we get to talk about some of the stuff that's come out and happened since then on AEW TV. Action Andretti got a big upset win over Chris Jericho on Dynamite. People were comparing it to uh, 1-2-3-Kid over Razor Ramon, though we could talk about it. I don't think that comparison exactly works. They were very different matches. But it, it was still a huge moment. Action Andretti and Chris Jericho did a great job getting him over in this match. Um, and it just in the story, in the lead-up to this match, like, hey, I'm Jesus, you know, I, I've lost couple of matches, a couple of big matches in a row. I just tapped out to the big swing, Cesaro, or excuse me, uh, <laughs> not Cesaro. Claudio, Claudio Castagnoli, get cultured swine. On at Ring of Honor's uh, pay-per-view. You know, I, I need, I just need a jobber, basically. I, I just need some small guy to, to get my groove back. And he ends up getting pinned by Action Andretti. Uh, a great moment. And then, of course, we come to this week's Dynamite. Or, or the the, dyna, the next dynamite, and you know you had the great one of the best fireballs in the faces I've seen on modern wrestling. Uh, I don't think I've seen one that good since uh, Memphis wrestling Jerry Lawler, but uh, it was it was a really good fireball. Uh, usually they they're even at WWE, you know they've they haven't always been great, but this one was really darn good. It looked great. 
it looks like it hit him right in the face and blew up his hair. Uh, what what do you think of uh, everything going on here with Action Andretti? You know, I thought it was actually a really entertaining match. I'm excited to see what this guy's going to do going forward. I think the interesting thing, though, is like, you know, since the match has taken place, Jericho responding to the hate that it got is absolutely beautiful. It's a locker room veteran sticking up for the young guy. Um, people were thinking, although this one surprised me because Tony Khan is so fucking just out there. People were thinking that this was like a Tony Khan fly-by-night deal. The reality is, is that Jericho saw Action Andretti at a backstage at a dark taping. It was like, hey, holy shit, this kid's good. It's been something that's been in the works for months now. And, you know, yes, it was a great match. Give Andretti all the credit in the world. He's a, he has a bright future ahead of him if he just continues to learn. But I don't think enough credit's been given to Jericho in this whole situation because you got to remember Jericho comes from that generation of the uh, selfish locker room leaders. Uh, You know, the stories of Hogan, the stories of guys like that, that he was in the locker room with. So it is very interesting to see how this is going to develop going forward. And, uh, you know, maybe throw the fancy Booker hat on maybe future JAS member. Hey, there you go. Uh, I wanted to ask you this about the actual match itself. Uh, it was technically a good match. Uh, it was, I brought up that it was a back and forth match. I brought up the one, two, three kid Razor Ramon match from Raw, and I think it was 1994. I could be mistaken about the year, but I think 1994, where. And the reason why that match doesn't compare to this, even though some people were saying it does, is because the entire time, Kid was just getting his butt beat and getting the heat from uh, Razor Ramon. And then it was a surprise roll-up or a surprise couple of moves Mm -hmm. that got the 1-2-3. And this actually might be the match where he got the name 1-2-3 Kid. He was just the kid before, up to this point, or the Lightning Kid. Mm-hmm. And what if that was a huge moment? It's a moment people still talk about on Raw, you know, 27 years later. Should that match, because Action Andretti is someone who technically wasn't on the roster yet, at least officially. And yep. he, he was just, hey, this is just this is just a local guy, a jobber that I'm coming in to just sort of get my groove back on. I feel like it should have been a squash up until the surprise victory. That the story maybe should have been that way. I'm not saying he couldn't get Action Andretti. His name's Action Andretti. He should have gotten a little bit of his stuff in, but then always get it shouldn't have been quite as competitive. I feel like it was a good match. I enjoyed it. And certainly the the ending was a surprise and a lot of fun. But I do feel like maybe it should have been a little more one-sided until the end. Uh, what what do you think about that? Do you, do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? I actually completely disagree with you for multiple reasons. Um, let's just start off with comparing 1-2-3-Kid and Action Andretti. No offense to Sean Waltman because he's a great dude in real life. But look at the physique difference. Look at the build difference. 
there's a reason why one, two, three kid was wearing a singlet. And then action Andrade, you could fucking literally wash your laundry on his, on his stomach. Uh, there's also a difference in obvious weight and height. Um, whereas when you look at Jericho and then you compare him to Scott Hall, right? Scott Hall is much larger person than Jericho. So it's really hard to make the comparison that Jericho should have been just putting the boots to a guy who's very similar in size to him, the way Scott Hall was able to do it and make it look believable to one, two, three. Kid. I'll give you that. The size um, difference between Kid and Ramon is definitely very stark. Ramon's bigger than he he's really thought of. He was huge. He was six five yeah. in that range. You know. Really, really fucking built. And Kid was, you know, Sean Waltman was, you know, especially in the early 90s, mid 90s, tiny. So you don't have that so, size difference. So I'll agree with you there. That's that's uh, an element to the match where you can say, yeah, this they're a lot closer in size here. So it should have been more competitive. The other thing is, and I hate saying this. Um, look at the career one, two, three kid ended up having, or X Pac or Sean Waltman. Not saying that it wasn't a storied career by any stretch of the imagination, and I'll probably get some heat for this. Without DX and NWO, it's definitely not Hall of Fame worthy. He's a, so he's you a really two-time Hall of Famer. Come on. Because of DX and NWO. So, well, I mean, you know, being clicked up in the back doesn't really hurt either. <laughs> um, but yeah, and don't get me wrong, Xbox is a great wrestler and everything like that, but he's more well-known for his issues outside of the ring. It's the same reason why and correct me if I'm wrong, China is still not individually in the Hall of Fame. Um, sometimes that, unfortunately, overshadows your accomplishments. I mean, you held the European title, which has been dissolved for years now, three times, I believe. Tag team champion twice, once being with Kane. Uh, did he ever hold the Intercontinental Championship? I don't remember him holding it now. I don't think he did. Did he ever hold the WWE championship? No, certainly not. He wasn't a world no. champion anywhere significant. Exactly. So do you want this kid that has potential one day to be in the world championship picture? Because you see guys like Sammy Guevara, Daniel Garcia, fucking Darby Allen, potentially being in these world championship positions. When you got a dude like Action Andrade, who's bigger, better physique, better build, he can work on his personality. We don't know what his mic skills are like 100% yet, but, you know, he could be the next fucking big thing in professional wrestling. Do you really want him starting his career off like a one, two, three kid at that point? I, I, I think that would be a good starting off point. I'm not saying he can't spin it off of that and become his own thing and go on to bigger and better things. Hopefully he does. Uh, again, to spin off your point about Sean Waltman and the hall of fame, does he deserve it? I, I counterpoint 
we all know Sean Waltman was the guy uh, in WWF in the late 90s where if you wanted to bring someone in and take a look at someone and figure out if you could go, it was, it was X-Pac that they sent him out there with because X-Pac could come back and say, oh yeah, this kid can go. This kid's worth keeping around. Or, you know what? I didn't like, you know, he doesn't have it. And they would listen to him. So, there's something to be said, even though maybe he didn't hit the levels of drawing and he didn't hit certain championships and all this stuff. As far as in-ring talent, he was valuable behind the scenes to a certain degree. Where, While I agree with that, and this isn't putting anything bad on him because he was a great talent. But let's talk, let's move past the one, two, three kid thing. What memorable WCW moments does Six Pac have? Just give me one. Uh, there was the Wolfpack versus, and the Wolfpack, the original NWO Wolfpack, not the red and black Wolfpack, which was Nash, Hall, and Six versus. Kevin Green, Roddy Piper, and Ric Flair. And Six was the bump, the guy taking all the bumps in that match. He was the one flying around, because look at everyone else in that match. You had Green, Kevin Green, you had the older Flair and and uh, Piper, and then you had the bigger Hall and Nash on his team. Six was the one flying around, doing working in that match, taking making Kevin Green look good, and making Piper and Flair looked good, and that's a match that still gets talked about to this day. It was on pay per view, I believe. It was okay. I believe it was Slamboree, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so that's one from WCW, and then after that, he had like maybe two moments in WWE: the invasion of the Norfolk Coliseum, and telling Hulk Hogan, "Hey, you suck, pal!" On live TV, and then if you're feeling really froggy, let's go with three memorable moments because he was potentially in the worst goddamn faction of the late 90s, early 2000s, and they had fucking Uncle Cracker do their theme song. So... I thought... Some, some Sean, of the... if you ever see this, man, I love you. <laughs> you know, I... You know, he's... There was some great stuff with Shane McMahon. I thought. This is some of Shane McMahon's early good work. You know, if you want to talk about Shane McMahon as someone who became fairly decent in the ring as a non-worker, you know, his early matches, I think WrestleMania, was it WrestleMania 2000? Or WrestleMania yeah. 17? WrestleMania 2000, X-Pac and Shane McMahon. And that was actually a pretty good match, probably because yes. of X-Pac carrying that. So there's there's another moment. and And the whole Kane... And X Pac and Tori thing. I remember oh, how that. I forget about Tori. <laughs> right. That was there was there was some storytelling there that was interesting. It got a little weird towards the end, but I I remember that stuff fairly uh, well as well. So it, it's not like he was forgettable. Obviously, he was never in the main event of a pay per view or anything like that. Never in the world title. And that show. doesn't necessarily. That doesn't necessarily disqualify you because look at how many deserved Hall of Famers that should have been world champion that aren't. Two that come to mind. Scott Hall, Mr. Perfect, mm-hmm. Kurt Henning. Right. So, and let's not forget, I mean, you know, just kind of backtracking on what I said. Um, I, I believe 
Sean Waltman deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for one reason and one reason only. And it's not WWE related. What kind of is. This man shows up at GCW, the world. First time they ran Hammerstein Ballroom in a Vince McMahon mask. Comes out in the middle of the Joey Janela-Matt Cardona match. To no chance in hell wearing a fucking Vince McMahon mask to distract Cardona. And then when Brian Myers comes out to help Cardona, you hear the DX song go off. Fun fact, WWE can't fucking sue because they used the Run DMC version <laughs> to make the save. Uh, and that right there is legendary enough to me for Sean Waltman to be in the Hall of Fame. But that's, you know, me. So are you saying if DX, if if Billy Gunn ever wanted to make a DX entrance at AEW, they could license the Run DMC version of Break It Down? So, funny story. Um, turns out most of the songs that were on, like, the Ruthless Aggression album or uh, the WWE, like... Perfect example I heard of this. Um, back in the day, there was a version of Stone Cold's theme song that I think he only ever used once on Raw. And it was just to come out with. And it was Snoop Dogg and WC. That song you'll never find anywhere again because WWE lost the licensing rights to it. Same way with Saliva doing King of My World for Chris Jericho. Gone forever. WWE lost the licensing rights for it. If you actually go back and you look at how many amazing theme songs that I'm sure WWE paid close to a million dollars for mainstream artists to make for their wrestlers that they've eventually lost the rights to because they just let shit lapse. Interesting. Oh. It's, it is always interesting going back onto the network and looking even at old WWF and WWE stuff where you think, oh, wait a minute. WWE was using Voodoo Child there for Hulk Hogan for a while, but it's, it's not on the network. They've got it dubbed over. Why is that? But you still have cult of personality for CM Punk on the network. How, how, are they still paying rights fees? No. It's that when they had Voodoo Child licensed, streaming wasn't a thing yet. So streaming yep. rights in contracts didn't exist. But when by the time CM Punk was, and CM Punk was there as they were gearing up for the network, and he left literally just before the network uh, launched, you know, all those all those terms and conditions for future streaming rights to the video library were in the contract. So they can continue, even though they probably couldn't use it on their live show today, they could still have it in the video library on the network. So, Well, you know, an even more glaring example of this, and we didn't really learn the full scope until the unfortunate passing of New Jack, if you go back and you watch any ECW show, the only music that is the same on that show is the opening music where it's just Paul Heyman yelling, Extreme <laughs> Championship. Because after New Jack passed away, one of New Jack's most infamous shticks is he would come out to a song called Natural Born Killers by Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, and it would play the entire time New Jack would beat the shit out of whoever's in the ring with a plethora of objects. And it was a cool gimmick. One of the reasons why New Jack was my favorite when I was younger. 
But then it can, comes out after New Jack unfortunately passes away that Paul Heyman never paid a fucking dime for any song he ever used in ECW. So when you go back into the library and you, why the hell is all this music different? There you go. All right. So uh, to use a term from Bischoff in 83 weeks, we got into the weeds on this one. We started with Action Andrade, went through one, two, three kids, Sean Waltman, and now we're talking about music rights and wrestling. We're having a fun time with this episode, but let's go ahead and move on to our next main topic, our last main topic for this show. We talked about on our last full show, we talked about uh, the Wrestle Kingdom card on January 4th in the Tokyo Dome that had been announced up to that point. Many more matches have since been announced. We pretty much have a full card here. So let's go ahead and talk about the matches we haven't already talked about that have since been announced. Uh, so I've got the website here for that has their announced card. Um... This is uh, we can skip that match. These uh, opening matches here, the three minute time long, three minute match. There, uh, we talked about this one, right? The thirty minute. Oh no, we haven't. No. The uh, Antonio Noki Memorial Six Man Tag Team Match. So with a thirty minute time limit, uh, Yuji Nagata, Satoshi Kojima, Togi Makabe versus Tiger Mask. Minoru Suzuki, Tatsumi Fujinami. Man, that's that's a heck of a six-man tag there. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's going to be amazing. Because, I mean, I, I recognize every name there, which is pretty incredible for someone who doesn't watch New Japan. <laughs> I mean, that's a legendary roster. Yeah. And obviously, it's, it's uh, in memoriam of Antonio Inoki, this man. So, uh... I'm excited for that one. I'm normally not someone who likes trios matches, six man tags. They just they get a little uh a little too busy for me. But this is certainly interesting. A lot of great talent there. All right. Uh, uh this was a new one that we haven't talked about. Leah Rush mm-hmm. and was it Yo? Yep, Yo. Uh versus a Francesco Akira and TJP for the junior heavyweight tag team championships. Uh, what do you think of this match? I'm actually really excited for it. Leo Rush, since he made his comeback, I don't know if you remember, he was signed to AEW for a cup of coffee. Yeah, this is like his uh, third comeback, he... isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, he's struggling with a lot of shit personally, yeah. that, you know, unless you actually get that shit worked out. Okay. You know, it's hard to deal with. But then on the other side of the coin, you also have Akira and TJP on a fucking tag team. Um, and, you know, everybody's familiar with TJ Perkins from uh, the Cruiserweight Classic and being a Cruiserweight on Raw. My introduction to TJ Perkins was a gimmick that came about because of the TNA sto- video game that ended up actually working in real life, he was one of the original suicides. So, uh, this is going to be... This is going to be a flippy shit match, but it's going to oh. be fast-paced and action-packed nonetheless. You shouldn't have said that. Now, now I have no interest in it. All right. Uh, we talked about... Kyrie and Tam Nakano for the uh, IWGP Women's Championship match. Now that we're almost positive that Mercedes Varnado is 
a part of New Japan Pro Wrestling and Stardom. Do you think we see her? We both believe Kyrie's going to successfully defend her championship here, right? Do you think Mercedes comes out? Mercedes Monet comes out uh, at the end and faces off with Kyrie. Do you think she shows up? I would like to think so, but I think, and this is just me personally, everyone's going to have their own subjective opinions on this, but I think there's a bigger storyline than Mercedes coming out of this match. What's that? And I, I think it's the reported, not saying that this is going to happen, but the reported forbidden door entrant for the women's Royal rumble match this year, potentially being the first ever IWGP women's champion, Kyrie Sane. To me, that's a little bit bigger than the former Sasha Banks going to stardom. Because that builds a road to seeing Sasha Banks in a WWE match. Maybe not contracted, but again, we're, we live in the upside down, Bobby. Anything is possible. You're just way too mm, positive about that sort of thing. It's not going to happen, buddy. <laughs> All right, another match we didn't get to talk about. Ugh. Oh, my boys. Yeah, we know what's happening in this match, unfortunately. Yeah. The IWGP Tag Team Championships. Uh, one of the, you know, they just lost the Ring of Honor titles to the Briscoes a few weeks back. Uh, now they have a tag team, uh, an IWGP Tag Team title match, or title defense against Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto. I think we both believe they are probably losing the titles here. Do you agree? I agree. And I will never forgive Tony Khan for fucking up potentially one of the greatest storylines since the Hardys leaving Impact and Ring of Honor and going back to WWE. If you recall, the Hardys went around that every independent promotion in the nation, every promotion that wasn't WWE in the nation, And for a six-month stretch, they won every tag team wrestling title possible. And they lost it, Supercard of Honor, to, ironically enough, the Young Bucks. Next night, they show up in Orlando at WrestleMania. I don't know what the future of FTR and AEW is, but they screwed the pooch so fucking hard by having the AAA Tag Team Champions, the IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, not being the AEW Tag Team Champions. And for that, I will never forgive them. And we know where this is heading, unfortunately. And not unfortunately, because Yoshitasu and Goto are great wrestlers. And they deserve to be Tag Team Champions. But it's just unfortunate that it's going to be at the expense of FTR. Let me ask you a question. I don't, I don't remember exactly. I remember the image, but I don't remember how many belts. Ultimo Dragon. And uh, oh, those, God, those appearances so on Nitro. How many belts did he actually have in, the, in that image, in that, in that moment? Do you remember? I believe 10 plus. Okay. I, I mean, it's shoot four on each wrestler. A tag team coming out with two on each arm. And hey, maybe maybe you could have thrown in an Impact Tag Team Championship in there too, or a GCW, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, man, it's hard to get these all these promotions working together, 
And I guess, you know, AEW had whatever their plans were and didn't want to change them. But, man, it, but it's not, it was, it was ugh, <laughs> it, more so than you might think. It not Certainly not like it was in the territory days yeah. when, you know, you had Jerry Lawler as AWA champion and then they couldn't make a deal with Ganya, so he just kind of kept the belt and never defended it. But... Uh, like let's let's be real. Excluding WWE tag teams, FTR was the most over tag team in the world of 2022. All right. Despite you know Tony Khan fucking over and burning a lot of bridges with a lot of companies this year for some weird fucking reason, there would have been companies that would have been chopping at the bit to have FTR. Hold their tag team titles. And hey, um, they weren't on AEW TV a whole lot anyway. Now I don't no. I don't begrudge them having the titles on the acclaimed right now. Yeah. But but earlier you in the go year, back, there's been interviews this year with Brett Lauderdale, the owner of GCW. He would have loved to have FTR in a tag team match. And not all their tag teams in GCW are deathmatch guys. Yeah. You know, second gear, gear crew with Mance Warner. That dude's going to end up on a roster someday, I'm telling you. Um, Scott Demore, the president of Impact Wrestling, also said he would have loved to have had FTR on Impact Programming. So there was potential for them to add two more fucking belts to these guys. And and we know these guys want to work as much as possible. They want to be out there wrestling. And we couldn't get them a fucking AEW tag team run with all these belts? Are you fucking and putting those the belts eyes of the world in would have front been of AEW. other people? Yeah, getting the those belts with the AEW logo on it in front of other people? Come on. Yeah. Uh, I, you you want to break through as a global fucking brand and you're going to send your best tag team to the biggest Japanese wrestling show of the year without an AEW title on them? Are you fucking kidding me? They had the Ring of Honor title. That's what they were pushing. They're going to go to fucking Triple Mania this year as the AAA Tag Team Champions. You want to push into a more logical country like Mexico, because I don't know, it's attached to the fucking United States without the AEW Tag Team titles. Like, do you need to, like, not be a fucking cokehead to understand, like, how important that would be for your fucking company, Tony Khan? And I, I hate being like this because you literally, you hired Doug Peterson and Pantene Pro V and they beat the Cowboys in overtime. And for that, I am forever grateful to you guys. <laughs> but this shit is not fucking rocket science. God damn. All right. Well, we got a little bit more on uh, Dax Hardware coming up in quick jabs. But let's, uh, we talked about the TV championship uh, tournament final. Uh, we talked about Carl Anderson and Tamatanga. Tamatanga, put some respect on his name. He just won the best body of 2022 in New Japan. It's a weird fucking award to give out, but he won it. <laughs> so we got uh, Kaiji Mudo's last match. Shoto Amina, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kaiji Mudo versus uh, Bushi, Sanada, and Tatsuya Na- Naido. Uh, for a 30-minute time limit match. What do you think of this? Um, well, as you know, especially because of how traditional Japanese wrestling is, it's going to be Kaiji Muto that takes the fall. Um, 
which is interesting enough because they are wrestling a faction known as LIJ, Los Ingobernos de la Japan, uh, Rouge, Andrade. All those guys are also part of LIJ. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting match, though. I, I, I truly do. Uh, Tetsuya Naito is arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world today, with Sonata being not too far behind him. So, this would be a good match. All right. Wait, on is that Shada? <laughs> That's John Moxley's young boy from when he was doing his New Japan run. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't I think we talked about this, the junior heavyweight four-way match. Uh yep. yeah, and everything else we've talked about so far. Okada, Jay White, Will Osprey, Kenny Omega. Anything you want to add to the double main event here? Um I hate to say this, but Kazuchika Okada is not going to win. He's one of those guys I think is kind of like you watch New Japan programming and the crowd doesn't Japanese wrestling crowds are very weird because they will be very it's quiet, especially very with their different. weird COVID, especially with their weird COVID policies they have. Unfortunately, that's being lifted at um, Wrestle Kingdom this year. But uh, it's very different where they're very respectful until something big happens in the match. You don't get the big pops among the entrances or things like that. Yeah. But you can even tell, like, if you watch an Okada match for, like, the last six months, the crowd isn't as complimentary towards Okada as they normally are. Hmm. Um, Jay White, however, he seems to be on every fucking continent right now. Just people love the guy. I mean, you know, the Sacramento Kings held a fucking Bullet Club Jay White appreciation night a couple he's, weeks ago. He's a which is he's a real world champion right now. He, he like you said, yeah. he's all over the place for sure. Um, and defending all over the place too. Like he's defending in promotions that you've never fucking heard of, and you'll probably never see unless you know the unthinkable happens and WWE buys New Japan one day and will be in a hidden gems collection. Right, and, and well, this is part of a uh, New Japan trying to make inroads into America and try to build their brand here. So and I think that's a big part of this. You have Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay as part of the U.S. Uh, title picture there, and and then Jay White, an American, in the, in the main event for the world title. I mean, let's face it. We all know Kenny Omega is beating Will Ospreay. I, I can't, you know... I think the biggest crime here is that no matter how dog shit that match is going to be, and I'm not saying it's going to be dog shit... Because Will Ospreay is capable of having amazing matches. So is Kenny Omega. But it doesn't matter how dog shit this match turns up. You know fucking Dave Meltzer is going to have a fucking heart attack from the amount of blood going into his erect cock or the amount of stars he's going to give this fucking match. It's in the Tokyo Dome. And it's in the Tokyo Dome. Oh, least I forget. This match is getting fucking 10 stars, I guarantee it. Oh. So you, you think Omega's going to have the IWGP US Heavyweight title and the Trios title coming out on their Dynamite? I don't know. I don't want them to have the fucking Trios title. Fucking you know they're, you know they're winning that terrible best of seven. But 
Listen, they actually had a match that interested me in that fucking best of seven series. Uh, I've tuned out of that stuff long ago. What what happened? Well, they um they were tired of the hammer being a factor. The one little bit of story so, they were putting in the first couple of matches, yeah. yeah. So they did a no disqualification match where Kenny Omega got hit right in the fucking cock and balls with his barbed wire bat. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't sound i mean despite pain to kenny omega yeah it doesn't sound all that interesting to me all right all right we'll go ahead and move on to our quick jabs uh there's a couple of things we'll go ahead and start with one of yours first oh gosh we talk about him before the show and then we almost forget that's why i have to bring up reminders for me yeah, uh, fuck, I wish I was as professional as you are, but... <laughs> well, we'll talk... <laughs> well, while you try and remember, I'll go ahead and bring up uh, this one here. So, uh... AEW Dynamite. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that they have someone who's new in charge of production. He's got the Kevin Dunn job for AEW. He had that... He wanted that job in WWE. He was a step below. Kevin Dunn was never going to get out of his way. So he left WWE a couple of years ago, but he was one of the most well-liked people in WWE on the production side. Uh, he works for AEW now, and he's had a hand in creating all these new graphics for AEW for the new year. Um, and they released a little clip here here it is just a little 15 second teaser of some of the footage of uh what will be footage for some of the new graphics of the wrestlers here uh looks like a red white and blue uh theme here which changes up from the yellow that the set's going to be different we hear uh are you excited it's been three years of dynamite now are you excited almost three and a half are you excited for uh an updated look for dynamite Oh, I'm sorry. As I was looking up the quick jabs I had, I ran across Nikita Lyons' Christmas photo shoot. You um, just met her. Come on, dude. <laughs> I know. By the way, nicest person ever. Smells wonderful. <laughs> Couldn't have been nicer. Um, just I, I'm just going to remind you, she, she, she touched your back in your, in your onesie that you're wearing. I'll throw up that picture. She pulled me closer like I was Tiny Dancer. <laughs> but what do you think of uh, um, th- these graphics here? You know, I, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Um, we talked earlier off camera, and we talked about how these graphics really reminded us of main event. <laughs> but uh, oh, just the color scheme. You know, yeah. it's good. It's good to change things up from time to time. You know, the, Raw does it about every fucking five to six years. Um, unfortunately, their latest decision kind of looks like dog shit, but that's just me. Um, but yeah. Good on AEW. I hope it works out for him. I, honestly, I wasn't a big fan of the exploding powder look. I thought that was a weird flex for a show called Dynamite. But, okay. Right. So, uh... Yeah, I'm good with that. Alright, so I found one of my quick jabs. I just wanted to um, bring up the picture here of you and Nikita since we t- we talked about it. <laughs> Listen, we're practically married at this point. You know what uh-huh. can I say? I'm moving in with her next week. You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
All right, man. What what was your uh, what was your, one of your quick jabs? All right, one of my quick jabs was uh, Tony Khan uh, finally addressed the lack of television time for some of the AEW talent uh, recently during an appearance on the Grab City podcast, uh, another wrestling podcast. Tony Khan addressed the um, screen time of some of the AEW wrestlers. And he said there are dozens of wrestlers featured throughout Dynamite and Rampage every week. And throughout those hours, you see a lot of names. But there's also dozens of names in AEW you're not seeing every week. And sometimes they're silent about it. Sometimes there's a reason for that. Somebody's hurt. Somebody's working on a project. Somebody's being repackaged. Or frankly, there's not enough slots in three hours. On other sports teams, and this is where it gets interesting, you don't really see it as much. It's not really common in the NFL for the backup quarterback to blame the coach because he's not playing. It's not really common in the NBA for the backup point guard to blame the coach because he's not getting minutes. I take it, and I take it with a smile, and I keep taking it with a smile. It's okay. I understand everybody wants to wrestle, and everybody wants to do things. Everybody is coming from oranges. But we have a lot of great wrestlers here, and when they're here and when we can get everybody involved, I love that. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> that was word salad if I ever saw any. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, he made a lot of sense when he started talking about the sports teams, and it's like he fucking did like a gator tail off the desk. And it just all went to fucking mumbo jumbo land. Well, and I remember seeing, I only saw, I didn't see this whole quote. I just brought it up here. So it's on, on the screen right now. But I just saw the little bit about other sports teams. You know, when you're the backup point guard, you don't blame the coach that you're not getting minutes. But w, but wrestling is is a bit of a different thing. It's a work. So it is, I mean, to a certain degree, it is on the booker that you're not getting, yeah. you know, we're blaming, we're talking about, we were just talking about FTR. So, and who are we blaming for that? Tony Khan. So, yeah. on the other hand, with Miro, where do we put him on the show right now? Does he deserve to be on the show? Should be on the show? Certainly, he got pretty big at one point in WWE, but you know, I, he never really did anything that made him stand out in AEW. I thought I, I felt like his character was kind of watered down a little bit, got a little too jokey rather than the monster he should have been. And meanwhile, though, they tried to fix that, and he got over on his own. God's favorite warrior, or whatever the fuck it was where he was just a ruthless fucking killing machine where he would literally say like a creepy ass fucking like biblical threat to whoever his opponent was. And he would always end up with God or my smoking hot wife. I'm going to fuck later or whatever the hell it was. But that gimmick he was doing was getting so fucking over. I remember when they announced him as a surprise opponent for the TNT title and people lost their fucking shit. So, Again, you know, I hope we get Rooster Day back in WWE. This is what's wrong with professional wrestling and it not being companies not putting caps on things because then you buy up all the fucking talent and you waste talent's best years of their fucking lives. 
Miro or Rusev or whatever the fuck you want to call him should have been like a fucking seven-time world champion by now in some company. There's there's certainly something to be said when when AW was starting starting up. They obviously needed talent to fill TV time on Dynamite because you know the best a lot of the best talent was in WWE at that point. They had the Elite and they had Cody and they had you know a few pieces here and there. But, you know, they needed to fill in the undercard with people like Sonny Kiss and, and Cole Cabana and these ones that, you know, weren't necessarily wrestlers that are either up and coming or have been part of the game for a while. Um, QT Marshall, people like that. But once they started signing bigger names from the WWE, once WWE is like, oh, we don't need to sign up people. For whatever reason, they stopped thinking of AEW as a credible threat, I think. And they're like, oh, we don't, you know, yeah, we'll go ahead and let Anderson and Gallows go. And we'll let, they just started dropping people left and right, especially during the pandemic. You know, I think it became a thing where now we've got, now we're overbloated with some really great talent here. Some of the lower tier talent that we had that we just needed to fill time with, to his credit, Tony Khan let all their contracts, some of them are still under contract, let them ride, still paying them, and letting them them take bookings elsewhere uh, for whenever they're not on dark or dark elevation. But, you know, he's not letting them go or firing them outright. But, you know, you're right. There is this, now you have some homegrown talent like a Jungle Boy Jack Perry and a Luchasaurus and, you know, the elite getting on national television for the first time and TBS and all this stuff. It's... And then you have stars like CM Punk and Christian Cage and, you know, all these other people that have come in and Rusev was one of them. And he's kind of fallen by the wayside. FTR, some of the homegrown talent has fallen by their wayside and FTR. Of course, we have, it, it is nice. We think of MJF as such a huge star. Think about how many matches he had this year. And he was gone for a significant amount of time. The whole fucking Mark thing and the break he took after that. But he only had seven matches this year. And he posted that on Twitter and, and he made a heel... Mark out of or a heel jab out of it, which was great. But you know, he's someone who takes full advantage of what time he gets. He's only had seven matches, but every time he's out there, man, he he knocks it out of the park and then some. So mm-hmm. you can certainly see where. Oh, and I just hit my mic there. You can certainly see where. You know, Tony Khan would be like, hey. Here's a guy who gets minimal TV time for certain reasons, but he's just knocks it out of the park every time. He's our world champion now. So if you're getting more TV time or even the same amount of TV time as him, it's on you. Well, to, to let me kind of stop you right there. So I, 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 you let can see both sides right of there. Go ahead. No, I'm going to stop you right there because here's why. MJF has a Roman Reigns situation going on. Yes. 
MJF has only wrestled seven matches this year. And if you ignore the whole, uh, let's say it's the, um, if you ignore the whole break he took, there is something he said when he got the big Burberry belt. He's not defending it all the time. It's going to be an event whenever MJF defends the triple B. He's taking a page out of the Roman Reigns playbook, and here's why. NJF is a great wrestler, mm-hmm. and he's young as shit, so he only has time to improve. But not only is he a great wrestler, he's an even better heat magnet. Where anytime you give him a microphone, he's going to have that crowd so over on him to take such a fucking hardcore nosedive in a second. And that's the kind of great talent MJF is. That's why it feels like we see him on our screens more than that, is because we always do see him on our screens. Mm-hmm. MJF is one of those talents that doesn't need the console being a fucking match to remind you why he is the champion. Agreed. And I think he was in the best feud of the year with him and Punk. Isn't there? Isn't there? <laughs> and, well, and I'll put that on MJF. That was as much, if not more so, on MJF than it was on Punk. I think him and Punk, they were great foils for each other. And I agree with you, but unfortunately, I don't see it the same way. I think that was a greater feud as a whole, where uh, the actual feud itself was MJF versus AEW. But, you know. <laughs> but, anyways, uh, we, we'll talk about all this. A uh, little programming note here. Another quick jab to the face I'll throw in here. On Friday, uh, a video will drop. Me and Tony will be talking about the best and worst moments of the year. Um, I haven't talked to you about this off, on off the air yet, Tony, but I also actually want to bring back card the card for a few episodes where we'll bring up our top five best and worst matches. So look for that coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll, I, I want to do our card. I want to get that back into production. We've had some timing issues. We're getting things filmed. But we're definitely uh, going to have a video on Thursday, just a podcast style like this. It'll release on the podcast uh, feed as well for the audio-only listeners. It'll be just a general discussion about the best and worst moments of the year in wrestling. And then we'll have some cards coming up where Tony and I will each give our top five best and worst matches. It'll be four separate episodes. So, and that'll be only on the YouTube channel, BMP Sports, youtube.com slash Bomb Media Productions for those of you listening on the podcast feed. Uh, all right. I got another quick jab here. Uh, let's uh, promote another podcast. Uh, we know the Gentleman Villain podcast is ending, but on the last episode, they announced that that show will be reorganized into a new podcast with a new because you know we need another wrestling podcast FTR with Dax Harwood and the first episode drops on Thursday uh how fucking excited are you for this I follow Dax Hardwood with a fucking microscope on Twitter. I think he is one of the criminally most underrated, hilarious wrestlers of all time. Uh, They're a little back and forth about the PWI tag team top 500 with with the Briscoes is criminally underrated in how smartass of a quip that was. 
Um, he's also a provocateur, if you will, um, where everything that he says, especially after a loss on social media, gets analyzed with a fine tooth comb every time. So to hear him on a podcast where he's unfiltered and not restricted with what he can say, because say what you will about the whole AEW situation, the way Tony Khan handles things, he is very good with letting his talent do and say whatever they want. Uh, prime example, one of the best rivalries on Rampage right now, House of Black versus Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. Eddie Kingston is a dude that he will literally go on a tangent in an interview is about how much this wrestler fucking sucks and why, and he's not afraid to go after people in his own company. Not saying that Dax does that, but you get some tequila drinks and Dax Hardwood and you give him a subject, and I feel like we're going to get some really interesting topics. Well, And, and you mentioned how people... Uh really listen to Dax Harwood and his interviews and things he says. I think that's because he's he comes off, at least, as very honest and genuine. And he's opened up in the last year about some of the personal things he's been through as well. Uh, he had a great couple of interviews with uh, uh, Renee Paquette on her Sessions podcast. Uh, oh, okay. And... And yeah, that's what's got me really excited for this uh, podcast. It's probably going to be right at the top of my podcast rotation, uh, starting right on Thursday. Uh, and the first episode will be about CM Punk, so you know I'll be listening to that one. I am so excited for this. All right. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. If Dax buries CM Punk in the first episode... Show me your face. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll, I trust Dax. If he buries Punk for whatever reason, I believe Dax will be honest. So I don't think he's going to be trying to please, you know, his bosses and the EVPs over at the company he works for. So I think he's going to be I, honest. So if he's if he's got some I, things to say yeah. about Punk that I'll believe him. I, I have that weird feeling where this is going to be one of those shows where it's an open, honest conversation, and that if you listen to it and you listen to us, it's going to actually vindicate both sides and their feelings right. about it, and it's not just going to be one way or the other, which is something that I feel like we can all appreciate about Dax Harwood. Give that dude every fucking award under the sun. Mm. Yeah, we'll both be listening going, ah, see, I told you. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> all right. You got anything else you want to add? Uh, yeah, I just want to throw out a quick programming note myself. Um, I'd like to apologize to our audience. As you notice, we're kind of infrequent of late, and a lot of that falls on my shoulders. Um, I took over a more larger position with the company that I work for, and if anybody ever asked you to become a general manager of a place, you look that motherfucker in the eye and you say, fucking no. You will go old so quick. I promise you, you will have no free time for nothing. You start neglecting things like masturbation or just having fun with friends. And before you know it, you're about to have a heart attack in your late 30s. Um, so, But with that, though, things are kind of on the mend with work, as I joke about that. And we're going to become more frequent with a lot of the podcasts that Bobby and I have in the works for you. And uh, I can't wait for you guys to see what we're working on. So thank you for bearing with yeah, us. Yeah, a lot of stuff in the works. I can't wait for it as well. I've been trying to get get us recorded on some of this stuff because I want to get Tony's show that he came up with months ago, Qualified Human. I want to make sure it's got a proper place when we debut that. 
because I think it's a really good show. But I want to have some stuff come out with it so that we got get some cross viewership and people are able to go from one thing to the other. And and that'll that that'll all be on BMP Pop Explosion. There'll be stuff over there. There'll be new stuff here on BMP Sports. So yeah, just uh, subscribe to both channels and be on the lookout for stuff coming. It should be coming very soon. Uh, I will be editing promos together once we get some stuff recorded and I'll announce everything. I'll show you commercials for the stuff right here on the show. All right, that'll do it for this fantastic episode, I think, of the Buckle Bomb Show. Yeah, (laughs) I'll give it to you. All right. You guys, please subscribe, like, comment down below. What do you think of the topics we talked about? What do you think of Wrestle Kingdom? Are you excited to watch it? What do you think of the Vince McMahon stuff that we talked about? A whole lot to unpack there. Let me do- let us know down below. We want to have a conversation with you. All right. See you next week. Let us know in the comments if you think I really have a shout with Nikita Lines because I feel like we had a connection. Uh, I don't think you're going to get a good answer there, buddy. The preceding announcement has been paid for by Bomb Media Production.